Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Dr. Joanna Massey. She is a communications consultant, author, and corporate speaker. We dove into all things pivot as Joanna is known as the queen of pivoting because she faced five major pivots in a span of 12 years. And we talked about what it is like to have a successful pivot and what steps are involved. And we talked some science and some psychology and really got into some interesting questions as she shared her tips and what she learned on her journey. She, Dr. Massey, currently serves as a consultant and sought-after corporate speaker who combines the principles of neuroleadership and communications to help employees suss out unconscious bias and better implement diversity, equity, and inclusion in order to drive an organization's growth and vitality. This was a really in-depth conversation, and I know that you're going to take away so many points that are going to speak to you at where you are right now as we are coming into the last the last few months of 2020. And this podcast will help to set you up with some different shifts of thinking as we move forward over the next few months. So I know you're going to love this episode. Welcome to the show today, Joanna. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you for having me, Marcia. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Now, I would love to give the listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us where you are from? I grew up in New York City, and I currently live in the city, but I've spent a very long time in Los Angeles, and I've also spent a little bit of time living over in Paris, my three favorite cities in the world. Paris, that would be... How long were you in Paris for? Not long enough. And I sh- I probably exaggerate when I say I was living there, but I was there for, I've traveled there a lot, but I was there for two months straight, um, rented an apartment. And I had basically, I was in a period where I got downsized from my job and yeah. I took advantage of it and just went to Paris and spoke French you. for two months straight, studied French, went to museums wow. and all this kind of stuff. I was actually thinking of trying to move there um, at the time. It didn't wow. happen, but Sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It was a glorious time. It was very, I was very lucky. I didn't, I didn't think so at the time, I have to admit, because I was in the middle of a pivot. And uh, it's part of the reason I call myself the queen of pivoting. Uh, And sometimes those pivots can be uncomfortable. But in hindsight, it was a huge blessing. Yeah, we look at them at the time, and they seem incredibly uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, we look back and go, Oh, that makes sense now. That (laughs) makes sense now. Exactly. Are you, are you a reader? And if so, do you have a book that has been impactful for you? I do read. I, 
I've been in graduate school for 11 years. I have four graduate degrees. Um, so I've done a ton of reading and I'd like to say that all of it was for pleasure. It wasn't, you know, sometimes sure it wasn't. You know, the finance and the accounting can be a little, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. having said that, um, my psychology degrees, uh, that's the reading that I really loved. And I have a master's in clinical psych, but I have a PhD in transpersonal psychology and transpersonal psychology has to do with all of the things that impact us as a human being that are outside the ego right? Outside the thing that we normally identify as me, as the self. And so I got to study um, quantum physics, neuroscience. I got to study Buddhism, Hinduism, um, all sorts of religious um, religions and philosophies. And I have to say in the process of that, I have two books that I really love. The first one is going to sound super dry, but I promise you it's not. It's fascinating. And it's called The Tao of Physics. And Tao is spelled T-A-O because it's an Eastern um, philosophy, The Tao of Phys Physics by an author named Frijof Capra. And Frijof is spelled F-R-I-T-J-O-F. And it is, it sounds dry, but it's not. It is a fascinating look at how physics and science meet metaphysics and spirituality. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So for those who are very scientific minded and think that religion and spirituality is a bunch of woo woo, uh, it's it's a really fascinating look at the combination of how they explain each other. Well, more how physics explains spirituality. Mm -hmm. And then the second book that I really like because it's very logical while also bringing common sense knowledge to the human being, why we are the way we are, is called The Four Agreements. Oh. And it's by, it was a best-selling novel. Um, it's by Don Miguel Ruiz. I've also read The Fifth Agreement, which was his follow-up book, which was written with him and his son. Um, it comes from Toltec wisdom, which is South American um, and very ancient wisdom. It's very logical. And it's, it really helps you look at yourself and other people. And, and it really has that little, that shift of perception. That is so fascinating you say that because I always say the four agreements is something that we should all read once a year. And yeah. it is when people say, where do I start with personal development? I'm like, if you're especially working through a challenging time in your life, the four agreements is really powerful. When you realize that so little has to do with us, we just take everything personally. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I think he uses some great metaphors that are very helpful to ex understand why we shouldn't be taking everything personally, why actually nothing is about us. Um, and as a psychologist, I know that as, as someone who studied psychology, like I know that, but it's hard to explain to someone. And Don Miguel Ruiz has done that Toltec wisdom has done an amazing job of it. That's beautiful. I'm going to have to look at the other one because I am the science. I have like a, a science background and I've worked with physical rehab with people, but at the same time, I've also spent years coaching people through physical challenges. So I can see both sides of it when I really started to understand that we can't just take a physical rehab protocol and not address the brain. Because I was always fascinated, this is a little bit of a side, but I was always fascinated in the fact that I would get somebody in who literally had to learn how to walk again and their perspective and how they handled it was completely different than the person who had to have a plate put in. And not judgment, just watching the personalities and understanding people and how some people can push through extraordinary circumstances. And whereas other people would have something and it'd be, they were done. They just, they just couldn't work through that. So I found it very fascinating to combine the two aspects of it to help people with their physical rehabilitation. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very true and mind over matter. Interestingly, I often say to people, you mentioned the brain and certainly the brain has a lot to do with the mind, but the mind is not an organ. Mm -hmm. The mind is a combination of the brain, the brain waves and the brain functioning, the central nervous system, heart. There's a whole bunch of things that go into the mind. But if I were to say, if I were to go to a doctor and say, please operate on my mind, I cannot stand living with my thoughts anymore. There's no operation that could, there's no organ to operate on. Right. And so the mind is, is a, uh, it's it's very complex um, in and so much so that a group of psychiatrists um, led by a, a very renowned doctor at UCLA uh, Medical um, tried to define mind and they got the best people in the world together and they literally fought over the definition of the word mind for Seriously. months. Wow, this is fascinating. I love this talk. I absolutely love this talk. Do you have a quote or a mantra or something that you live by? something that is you through and through? I have a couple, but since we're on the topic that we're on, I'll, I'll pull out that one, which is that human beings can handle absolutely anything in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that quote comes from Anna Eastman. Um, and she, and I'm paraphrasing it, uh, it's, but it's just the way I've phrased it for, for decades now. And essentially what it means, and as, as someone who studied psychology, I, I witnessed this, I've experienced it myself. It is the thinking about the problem, either prior to it happening or after the fact, that causes the pain. In the moment, we are, we are handling it. We are dealing it. It is the fear of it mm -hmm. um, that, you know, the fear of, of it happening again, the fear of it happening, period, the, you know, that's all the where ways, we get into trouble. All the ways that we play it out that we have no control over, that we don't have a clue how it's going to play out, but our mind will get involved. Is that what you're saying? And the fact that we can play out scenarios that are horrific that haven't even happened yet. Right. Um, I, I have. I, I mentor a lot of women in business, and I frequently hear them say, "I'm preparing myself for getting laid off. I'm preparing myself for a bad conversation. I'm preparing myself for." And I'm. And I say to them, "Why are you doing that? Because." Um, we, what we think we feel in our bodies. Yeah. So if you're thinking about a negative scenario, you're feeling that in your body, it's turning out in stress, a stomach ache, an ulcer, you know, heart palpitations, anxiety, whatever, however, it's manifesting physically, it's happening. Why would you drag yourself through that? Why wouldn't you just experience the feelings in the moment that you have them? And by the way, that conversation, that incident, that event that you're preparing yourself for, what if it turns out not to be so bad? Yeah. yeah that's, just, that makes sense. And what a great way to explain it all. I love that. I love that. So you are the queen of pivot. I love it. I love your definition. And when I looked through your bio and everything that's there, I'm like, yes, you have pivoted multiple times in your life, like very, very big pivots that some people, I, I'm going to say would be, it's have the challenge to be able to pivot in those moments. Right. So Tell us a little bit about you and your story and wherever you want to start at, because there's a few other questions I want to ask you, but really, what does that mean to you, Pivot, and how did you become the queen of pivoting? So the queen of pivoting is on my social media bios. You can go check them. If you check my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, it's there. It's been there for years. It's not on LinkedIn, quite honestly, but <laughs> the rest of them. And the reason I dubbed myself that is because when I first started out in business, I envisioned myself climbing up a corporate ladder working at maybe two or three different companies, 
someday becoming the head of communications, a chief communications officer, and then ultimately one day being a CEO, because what I really wanted to do was run a publicly held company. And my career has looked nothing like a corporate ladder. And to quote Sheryl Sandberg, she says that careers these days don't look so much like corporate ladders. They look more like jungle gyms. And that is exactly, my career is like me climbing around this multi-layered jungle jungle gym. Sometimes it looks like me heading down. Sometimes it looks like me heading up. I mean, it is, it isn't anything but a ladder straight up. It started that way. I started in business and PR. I quickly moved from an agency to working in Hollywood. I've worked in television and film and publishing and media companies like CBS and Lionsgate, Viacom, Condé Nast. Um, I had a great run, but something happened in 2006 and the company I was at closed down. I got a job with our parent company, but it wasn't like I didn't fit in the corporate mix. They had kind of wedged me in because they liked me and I was a good worker and you know, I was, I was well liked, I was respected. And so they tried to make a role for me, Mm -hmm. but that role wasn't needed. And as a result, I was sort of like an executive without an executive without a land to govern, you know, know? Yes. It was awkward. And I got downsized out of that job in 2007, right before the 08 recession. So I ended up out of work for six years. Oh, wow. And that was scary. And it was also, I am the type of person who identifies myself as my career. At least I used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's really scary when you watch your whole identity go away. Mm -hmm. Um, and that took, that was the first pivot really was, um, and it was the first out of five. I say I've been, I have been downsized five times in 12 years out of corporate America and I have really learned how to pivot and I give a talk. Um, I can't, I'm an author, I'm a corporate trainer, I'm a PR person. Yes. I do a lot of stuff. I, I combine, my favorite thing in the world to do is to combine neuroscience and communications and teach people why we resist change how to how to understand other people who are different than us and then how to work with them how to communicate with them and it crosses your personal life and your professional life mm-hmm. and i say that because it really in hindsight like we were talking about earlier when i look back at the last since 2006 when things sort of started to go really haywire well, not haywire but just yes. change yes. lots of change um <laughs> in 2006 so we're talking 14 years ago now I had to really learn how to embrace pivoting. Um, And so I give this talk. I don't give it to corporations because they don't want their employees to hear it. I give it to trade organizations. I give it to nonprofits. I give it in academia because it's called the queen of pivoting talk. And here are the three pieces of advice I tell people. When you're in the middle of a pivot, pivot or about to pivot, there are three things you need to know, you need to look at. First, the thing that you're thinking about doing, that you're pivoting to, do you like doing it? Because that's really important that you have to like doing it. The second thing that's vital is, are you good at doing it? Because that leads to the third thing. And I can promise you, I've messed up this third one so many times now in all of these pivots that I, I learned. Can you make money doing it? All three have to be in place in order for the pivot to be good right? In order for it to be a successful pivot. And I have made some pivot in, in pivots in my day where it was like, I love doing it. I was really excited about doing it. 
or may, but maybe I wasn't that great at doing it, but it was okay. If I don't have all the skill sets, I can bring in other people. Like I can, I'm not, I don't need to be a solopreneur. That's my, not my deal, but can you make money at it? One of my pivots, which was, it would have been tons of fun, but it was so misguided. It would have cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I would have had to invest. First of all, I don't have that, but like, I would have had to invest my own money. I would have had to take on um, equity partners in my company and they would have had to be willing to invest a, a lot of money in an unproven, at the time, unproven entrepreneur. It was such a misguided pivot. I can't even tell you. You don't know that, right? At the time, like when you're going through your first, because we have this picture of what our life is going to look like, the path that it's supposed to go on, how everything is supposed to happen. And then all of a sudden the first thing goes wrong and it's like, crap, now what do I do? Like, what do I do? It doesn't mean you failed. It just, it right. And I think that, is that something that happens is that one, especially some of our early pivots in life or our early challenges, it hits this part of us that it's like, this is not how it was supposed to work out. I don't understand in the early, when you're, when you're first, like now it's like, yep, here comes another one. It's you just, as we get older, I think it's easier to see it, but I do remember some of the ones when I was younger and job changes that happened. And I'm like, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. So is that where we get stuck mentally of what we think it's supposed to look like? So I think that it depends on the person. I can honestly say that after now, almost 20 years of pivots, that I still can be the one, you know, when a when a when I get downsized out of a job for whatever reason. Usually, it's in my industry. It usually has to do with a merger, you know, a joint venture of some type, a financial issue where they've got to start laying off. Um, maybe they've shut down the division completely. You know, it's all those things. And every time it happens, I have that moment of that's not supposed to happen. What am I going to do now? Like it still happens. It's not in the plan. Day. No, and and. The good news is I can catch that thinking, right? It's not that I have the thought. That's not the problem at all. I am powerless over that thought. I, I if I could control my thoughts, I wouldn't think half the crap I think. Let's be honest, you know. I love and that I'm you sure said I'm not alone I, in that. No, thank you for saying that. It's so that's fantastic. I'm powerless over that thought. It's what I do with subsequent thoughts. I might be powerless over the first 10 times I have the thought. I might even have a really good hissy fit and lie down on the floor and like, you know, have a temp- like a good temper tantrum in my, you know, like I was too. I've been known to do that too. But then the key is what am I going to do after I express my big emotions, mm-hmm. right? After I have my big emotions, I get up um, and I start the pivot, right? And that's where the clearer thinking can come in. And by clear thinking, what I mean is I, I have a mantra that I, I that flashes up on my phone that I, I have it come at me every day, once a day. And it's, I'm enjoying the roller coaster ride of life. Oh, I love, I have goosebumps. I love that. Because life is about ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we are hardwired to resist change. That's a neuroscientific issue. It's, it's part of our, our programming in the brain. Nobody can avoid it. We don't like change, period. And we are also hardwired to remember the negative and to try to avoid the negative. As, and, and, you know, and so that makes change really uh, challenging. And, and more so, depending on your personality, can make it more challenging for some people than others. And so with life, it's really about ups and downs. We have no control over life, zero. We have, and, and we think we do. And the funny thing is, I frequently have people say to me, well, I have control over this, this, and that. And I say to them, really? 
what do you tell me exactly what you think you have control over? And they'll start and I go start with something really basic. Well, I have control over whether I took a shower this morning. You do. You have control over whether you had water. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you turned on your shower, did you have water? I know you're used to having water, but did you have control over whether it came out of the pipes? And by the way, if it does come out of the pipes, do you have control over it coming out warm? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing they're like, well, I had control over getting up this morning. I go, really? Well, yeah, I, I have an alarm on my phone. It always goes off. I'm like, I can tell you from experience, there have been times when I've set that alarm. I swear I've set it and I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or where I swear the phone's plugged in, but it wasn't. And it, it wasn't. died in the middle of the night. Yes. I, you know, or I'm in such a, or I swear the sound is up but it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Like you, you don't, and you also don't have control over your physicality. We all know that. So like, what if something happens to you in the middle of the night? You know, someone who's had a stroke who cannot get up. Like you think you're going to be able to sit your body up the next morning, but what if you can't, you don't have control. Mm -mm. Um, And the final thing I'll just say about the roller coaster rides um, metaphor is that the funniest thing is that when you're when I am on my way up on a roller coaster, that is the most anxiety provoking time of the ride because I'm about to hit the Zenith. And that is the part where your, my stomach kind of comes up to my throat mm-hmm. and it's while I'm heading down that I'm like, Whoa! <laughs> you know, the down is actually the fun part. And the way, way down is the calm part. Imagine wow. if you flip your thinking about life that way. Because when I look back at it, as I'm heading up in my career and I'm hitting some highs, mm-hmm. it was, I, there was anxiety there. It was like, am I doing this right? Is this going well? Am I, is it going to work out? You know? And then while I'm on my way down, like it doesn't feel great, but it's kind of like, okay, you know, I know where I am now and I can, I can work on it. Um, What a great, I love that explanation. Thank you. Because I think that we as humans do the opposite, right? When we are coming down, when it's supposed to be like, if you think of it like the roller coaster of life and how uncontrollable it is, that should be the fun part, the exhilarating, the woo, the arms up in the air. But that's not what we do as humans. We're like, no, 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 stop it. Stop. Make control. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Oh, too much movement. It's too much movement. There's too many things happening. And we, in our nature say, we don't like that. It's just, it's too much and too, too, too many things that we can't control. It's not a critical, uh, hypoth- uh, it's, it's like a, um, I can't come up with the right word right now, but it's a contradiction. That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about the things that some people enjoy doing, skiing, the down is the fun part. Going down a water slide, the down is the fun part. The water, the roller coaster, the down is the fun part. Like, That's where did hilarious. we get this idea that, never- that going down is not so bad <laughs> or is oh, so bad? I love that analogy. And I'm going to think about that as I go through some of my own life challenges. I'm like, no, 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 the down, the down is the fun part. This is where we learn. This is it. That's awesome. I love it. So then how do we, you've given me already some things here about pivoting. You say, if you look at the factors that you talked about, what's next then? Like, how do we handle that pivot? So say job does end. Let's use the example of like this year alone where it's, you know, I mean, it's, you're currently in New York now. Uh, I'm in Long Island right now, but yeah, uh, I mean, I live in New York city. I'm I'm in the state. (laughs) Okay. No, because it just curious as a sense of 
the amount of change that has happened this year and how much is out of our control. And, you know, there are people that I do, um, like I, I lost my job. There are people who lose jobs during this time. There are people who are dealing with sickness during this time. So this is a reality of it. Um, it's, there's fear on top of it, because I know, you know, I've been in early days, I've noticed a little bit more creeping in, but we're not going to give energy to that. But I've noticed fear in the early days, like going to the grocery store for us was like, you know, people would, you listen and watch people. I'm like, what, why are we behaving this way? Like, this is crazy how we're acting. So this time and this year has been a really pivotal time in history. Um, I just would love your take on some of that as far as um, the pivots and the change and why we resist that as humans. And what could we do next with this? So I'll start with why we resist it, which was among the last questions, but it is one of the, mm -hmm. I think it helps to understand ourselves. And there's this um, part of our brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is, uh, I like to say that there's the amygdala and then there's the executive functioning. The amygdala is in charge of taking care of the body. It is, it is programmed starting when you're in the womb. So that's how long it starts to get programmed. It is programmed throughout your whole life. It remembers everything that ever happened to you, and it helps shape your reactions in danger. Um, it controls your primary emotions. That means happiness, fear, um, anger. So it, it, and what happens is there's the amygdala and then there's the executive and the executive lives up front and the executive does exactly what we think an executive would do. The executive functioning is in charge of rational decision-making, self-control, um, strategizing. It's the sort of calm weighing the options part like an executive. It, mm -hmm. So that's where it got its nickname. When the system is stressed, you cannot have two generals calling out orders. So think of it this way. The amygdala was formed back when we were, when our biggest stressors or our, our, the thing to keep us safe was, hey, there's a tiger behind that tree. I gotta run. Mm -hmm. The amygdala's job is hear the tiger growl, maybe not even, and it's gone. You are running. Nowhere's near, mm -hmm. you're not going in that direction. You go the opposite. And you're moving fast and you're probably moving your feet before you even realize you had the thought, I heard a tiger growl. That's the amygdala. The executive, on the other hand, would have sat there and said, did he growl or was he clearing his throat? Oh. And should I, can I get away with trotting or do I have to sprint and break a sweat? And should I go that way or should I go that way? By the time the executive made the decision, you'd be the tiger's dinner, right? Yes. So yes. you only want one general in charge in a, in, and that's the amygdala's job. Executive goes offline, amygdala hijack is what it's called. Okay. Now, here's the thing about today. There are very rarely tigers behind trees, at least in America. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not, you know, in North America and Europe, we are not, that is not our biggest stressor. The amygdala doesn't know that. The amygdala is programmed to help the body stay safe. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you get caught on the freeway and you're going to miss a meeting with your boss? What happens when something doesn't go your way, when a project looks like it's going south and you're worried about getting fired? What happens is the amygdala mm -hmm. kicks in and we don't even know it's happening. And so what in, in the middle of an amygdala hijack, anybody in any kind of stressful situation, which by the way, can be as simple as a boss saying, 
Joanna, can you come in here? I need to talk to you. Like yeah. that can set off an amygdala hijack in some people. Uh, honestly, in me. <laughs> so, you know, we have a whole story before you even get into the office. You're like you've already created this whole story before you even go in. And the and the beauty of the amygdala is it operates so quickly. It's also it's your downfall because it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of unconscious bias is happening. So we make judgments very quickly about what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with, what makes me feel safe and what doesn't make me feel safe. And the amygdala is making that decision without you knowing it. And if the amygdala decides I'm safe, you walk in there into that meeting, into that situation, no problem. Mm-hmm. Executive still online, all good. The amygdala decides it's not safe. And it, it goes searching the brain for everything that's ever calmed the system down because it's got a four alarm fire and its job is to calm you down. Mm-hmm. Now, what calms you down? That's as individual as every person on the, on the planet. What calms some people down is drinking alcohol. So they might make it through that meeting, but they're going out to lunch and having some martinis or they're going out at five o'clock. What calms other people down is cookies. Um, okay, I'm going to go to the snack room or I'm going to go to the vending machine or I'm going to the cafeteria. What calms other people down is anger. Um, This is also the system where fight, flight, or freeze lives. And a lot of people have heard of that. So Mm -hmm. some people might want to fight back and like, oh, she's that boss is about to, you know, tear into me for something that wasn't my fault. And I'm going to let her know it. Or it's to just freeze. Like, okay, no problem. You know, like to just shut down and not be able to stand up for ourselves. Or it's to flee, like, just get me out of this room as soon as I can. I can't even hear what you're saying. I don't care. I need to get out, right? Yeah. Um, I'm avoiding confrontation. Yes. You know, maybe you even say, I'd love to come in there, but I'm on a deadline and I'm on this phone call and I can't, you know, you're going to put it off for as long as possible. So these are the things that the amygdala does and in, and it's really important for us to recognize when we're in the amygdala hijack, because we want to calm it down and get that executive back online. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that's really important to understand when other people are in a amygdala hijack mm-hmm. because we want to help them. And you see a lot of people react in a lot of ways and you sort of go, why are they doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite thing to tell people is if, if you're really stressed out and you, you could be in an amygdala hijack, make sure to run your brilliant ideas by somebody else because here's when you know you're operating in an amygdala hijack. You go home and you tell your spouse uh, your sibling, um, a parent, a best friend, your great idea. And they look at you like you're an alien or you have four heads. And they say something like, I don't know, that doesn't sound like the best idea. Have you really thought that through? You know, where they kind of go, you might not be thinking with your executive. That is, I, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm such a science geek though too, because I love this stuff. I just find it so fascinating. It really helps to understand how humans behave and how we react to what's happening. So pivoting as we take that and we move that forward, and you've given us some really great tips on how do we create that change and what do we do? Um, how do we, how do I say this? How do we decide that, oh, this is enough time to give it a try as we go and create change to know that it's working? Because we also, as humans, it's easy for us to create change, lose the job, do this, grab something, make the change, and then all of a sudden, well, that's not working. So go to the next thing, and that's not working. So we lose that sense of making the call ourselves as to what is the best thing for us. Does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. And what I would say about time is there's no timeline. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a book called Communicating During a Crisis, Influencing Others When the Stakes Are High. What year did you write that book? This year. Oh, are you, I was just going to see, cause it would be really good this year. <laughs> I did. I wrote it. Um, it's a brief book. It's only 70 pages. I wrote it really quickly at the start of COVID because I could see what was happening. Wow. There are a lot of COVID examples in there. It published prior to the black lives matter movement, but everything that's in there applies yep. to it. Um, it's a very, I write very broadly. I write for a broad audience. So it's got a business title. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, my other book, I have a second book that has a business title too. Don't let the business title throw you. It is a, it is a self-help book awesome. for anybody. Awesome. I'll make sure. And I tell, yeah. And I tell a lot of entertaining stories. I use pop culture. I bring in current events. I just, mm-hmm. I, it makes it more interesting to read, I think. And I, and frankly, I write the way I talk. So, right. you know, it's, so anyway, that was just a little, I digressed there, but the reason I brought it up was because there is no there's no timeline. I mean, there's, you have to have reaction. If you're at work and all of a sudden that morning, your company makes an announcement that they are being bought by another company that's going to, and that other company has a lot of similar divisions and functions. And you know, man, my job's going away in a week or a month or two months. Like you just know it you know, you got to make some quick decisions. And if you walk into the office and they say, and your company says to you, Hey, we're having, we're having, um, uh, we're having problems. We're having financial issues and we're going to offer early retirement to X, Y, and Z executives. And you're one of those executives. You need to make that decision. Sometimes you're not given a lot of time to make it. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to you is don't worry about the timeline. There's no timeline. What it is, it's just about being conscious of when you could potentially, when you're stressed, And so you might not be thinking from the best place. Mm -hmm. And then as an employer, as a parent, um, as a family member, uh, as a friend, when others are stressed and might not be thinking from the right place, because then, then that's where the influencing comes in place. And, and with, there's a lot of books on how to influence other people. There's a really famous one that I love by a guy named Dale Carnegie was written a hundred years ago and is still relevant today. And it's called how to win Fl- friends and influence people. Yep. It is, it's been on, I mean, it's still so millions, there. Millions, <laughs> millions. So millions of copies, but with Dale Carnegie, it is like a list of 38 things of how you influence people. There's another book that uses the word, I think it uses the word influence. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, 10 things of how to influence people. Um, and it uses it as an acronym. For me, there's three things. Like I, I believe in simplicity. You cannot make this too complicated. Mm-mm. The number one thing in order to influence somebody is you need to understand where they're coming from. So ask them questions about themselves and be genuinely interested. And I'll tell you, politics is a really great example of that. Um, and I don't want to get uh, too okay. political here, but just to give an example, um, you know, the um, it just happened today and it's sort of been top of mind for me. Uh, we had an incident yesterday where Donald Trump, President Trump is in the hospital and he decided to, with COVID, and he decided to get into an SUV and drive around to let everyone know that he's okay, that he's not, you know, that he, he can get in the car and he can drive around and to, to say hi to people who are want to be well-wishers. And there's a lot of criticism of that because he had to, there were two secret service agents in the car with him who then uh, in, have basically risked their lives 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are criticizing the president for that. And what I said to that, you know, yesterday as it was starting to unfold, what I said to people who were highly critical of the president was, hold on a second. Understand where he's coming from, which he's trying to calm down the nation and he's trying to, um, you know, show people he's okay. And also he's got well-wishers out there and he, the guy's got an ego and he wants to go see him. <laughs> and he felt well enough to do it. Yep. But let's look at it from the Secret Service agent perspective. Now, we don't know this for sure. We'd have to ask them. But as a Secret Service agent, you take an oath. I serve at the pleasure of the president, and I will take a bullet for the president. Mm-hmm. It's your job. And those people might have been perfectly happy to get in that car. Do not project your thinking onto them. Ask them. Mm-hmm. Now, I could be completely wrong. The two men that were in that car could be really unhappy right now. But they might not have been. Mm-hmm. They might not have been. And and my favorite part is when people who are in my family look at the, the images and they say, look how angry those Secret Service people look. And I said, they you know, that they're smile. having to do this. I'm like, I, I've, I've been with Secret Service people before and I can tell you that they're not really smiley guys. I don't think they're <laughs> supposed to. I don't think they're supposed to show expression. They're not allowed to. And by the way, they've got masks on and glasses. How can you tell? <laughs> so Sorry. that's what I mean. Okay, this is what I mean. The number one thing is to understand, and I'm using a very extreme example right now. It is. People can understand this example very easily. So ask, if you're having problems with an employee, if you're having problems with a family member, don't assume you know what the problem is. Don't assume, you know, know, like uh, that employee was late with an assignment again. He's so lazy. Why don't you ask them why he was late instead of assuming he did something wrong? And by the way, when you ask, don't say, I noticed you were late again. What happened? Yeah, that's not the way. A better way to ask that question is from the curious perspective. Hey, the assignment was a little late. It was later. Are, is everything okay? What, what, what's going on? Can I help you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are going to get a very different response. Oh, 100%. Then, so step number one is to understand. It takes some thought, but we can do it. I know we can. I agree. <laughs> step number two is to um, acknowledge um, that person to relate to them um, in some way. So let's just say, I'll go back to the example of the president. Um, let's just say that you know you can't relate to the idea of taking a bullet for a boss, but you can relate to the concept of, well, you know what? I have, you know, when I have my boss tell me to do something, I might not agree with it. I might not want to do it, but you know, if I if if it's positioned to me as this is what's good for the company and this is what's necessary, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm paid to do, and that's the promise I made as an employee. So I actually can really relate to what you're saying, mm-hmm. and that's not too far fetched. No, you know, it, if an employee comes to you and says, "I'm really sorry. I, I should have told you. I just didn't want to get yelled at." But quite frankly, my kid is sick, and I spent all day yesterday on the phone with doctors and all this kind of stuff. Well okay, I might not have kids, but you know what? My mom was sick recently or my, my dad was sick or whatever. And I spent all day dealing with stuff and it's really distracting. And yeah, it is hard to get work done. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. I relate to you. It's empathy. Right, exactly. Com- or compassion. Either Gosh. way, like just, but we're human beings. And while we might not have had that exact experience, we've probably had something that's along the lines of, I can, I can, I can relate to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is then to um, phrase it, you know, to, to offer solution and phrase it in a way where, and this is so important, 
where the person has autonomy in the decision they're making. So as a boss, what I can say is, you know, if you don't start turning in your work on time, we're firing you. That's not going to do, I mean, that's just not getting anywhere. You're just getting someone more scared. Or I can say to them, look, I'd really love it if you came and talked to me about this type of thing. It'll help me help you. I get it if you don't want to do that or if that's hard for you. But then the problem is that you're not turning in your work on time. And then we have to take, you know, corrective measures in some place that might be even firing you. So like understand your choices, do this or do this. Mm-hmm. And then you're giving the person the option. You're giving them agency, you know, control over the decision. And you're not presenting it in a punitive way. And, and I'll go back to the example of the president. You know, I can say to the family member who was complaining about the Secret Service situation to me, I can say, you know, I get that you would not take a bullet for your boss, but those people have agreed to die for the president of the United States, no matter who that president is. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Ronald Reagan and the Secret Service agent who jumped in front of him to try to help with that when he took a bullet. Um, you know, the Kennedy thing came out of the blue. Nobody saw that coming. But like, you know, um, these are, you know, this is, this is what they've taken an oath to do. Um, and so your choices, you can think that's a ridiculous thing to do. And I would, I might agree with that because I wouldn't do it. But you can also look at it from a perspective of like, all right, that's what they agree to do. And I don't have to, I don't have to do it, but I don't have to necessarily judge it. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Those are great points to take away, especially right now, because I just continually feel that we need like less judgment, less criticism, less, like we need to be off on a human level, more compassionate with where others are at. Cause we don't have a clue with what they are going through. I can think of off the top of my head, four friends whose marriages have ended this past, just this year, just this year. So that means, you know, they, and it just means that life is, is changing for them rapidly. And she said, I'm so tired of people saying like, you've lost weight or you look tired or you look this, but she said, no one's asking how I'm doing. I'm like, but then there's a double-edged sword where but a lot of people don't know what's, what you're going through. They also don't have a clue what you're going through. So as humans, we jump into like, what is wrong with you? Why do you look this way? Why are you changing so much? And not having a, an understanding that she's actually going through a really difficult time. So I can completely understand with what you're saying. And those are some great, great examples. I love it. Where can we find your books? So both of the, the easiest place I think is amazon.com. They're both on amazon.com and they're both on barnesandnoble.com. Amazon's probably, I hate to say it, if you're, you know, if you want to support Barnes and Noble, by all means, please go there. Absolutely. One of them is in stores at Barnes and Noble and at independent booksellers, but they're both online. So you can either order it as a book or you can order them as eBooks. As eBooks. Awesome. Awesome. And where is the best place for people to connect with you, follow you, learn more about you and what you do? I do a lot of thought leadership on LinkedIn and I am an indiscriminate linker. If you <laughs> send me a, a request, I approve it. Um, Same. So, uh, uh, so I go by uh, Joanna Dodd Massey on LinkedIn. But the other thing is, I mean, I also have an email list and you can feel free to email me through my website, which mm-hmm. is my company's name is JD Massey Associates. And, and the URL is just the initials, JDMA. Awesome. Inc. 
com. So, you know, and they just go on there and hit the connect button and, you know, join, join the mailing list. And then you get my blog posts and you get some updates and stuff like that. I don't spam people. I can't handle, I mean, if I put out one thing a week, that's a lot. I'm usually putting out things twice a month, maybe. Yeah, that's okay. I find that too. I find once a week, once a couple times a month is good because I've actually gotten really excited about something and I follow. And then all of a sudden, like by the third, fourth email in only a couple of days, I'm like, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. And it could be actually it really good content. Nice. It could be really good content. But where my life is at right now, simplicity just keeps, simplicity is like winning. Let's just keep things simple. And so I can, I, I feel that because yes, I, yes, I completely understand what you're saying. I'm totally with you. I, I have a group of people I can think of right now who are people who are in a networking group with me, or I've met through other networking opportunities. And they're like, can, you know, I, I say, oh, put me on your mailing list. You know, I don't want to help them. I want them to have yes, those numbers. I see their names now once or twice a day. Zoop, 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 zoop. I am deleting. Like, I'm not even opening. I'm not even looking at this subject line anymore. No, isn't that something that really says like, again, meeting where people are at and also asking like how often, how often do you want to receive? I love that. I love, I just love that way of communication. But yes, I have unfollowed a number of different things and unsubscribed in the last few months. Um, I've really enjoyed learning from you and having this conversation. There's been a tremendous amount of value that you have given to the listeners as far as how do we pivot? How do we create that change? How do we handle that? How do we really be a better human to help others through their change as well? Is there anything else that you would like to add? I do have uh, two questions for you, but at the end, but is there anything else you would like to add specifically that did not, I did not ask? No, I think I love talking to you. I thought it was great. And I have to say, I love talking about these subjects. I think I I really come alive when I talk about them. And it's it's what I do as part of my corporate, as a corporate trainer, as a corporate speaker. I just love going in and, and educating people, employee groups, organizations, trade organizations. Like this is, it's so valuable and it's so helpful and it's just my passion right now. So thank you for, for the interview. I appreciate it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Honestly, I love it. And I love that this is coming into corporate. Like I love that. I think it's fantastic because this is something that is not, um, it's newer, right? And I, I think that things are changing. I do think things are changing even in the corporate world. Life is changing with how we are handling our situations and how we are doing things. So I love hearing that thought leadership is a part of corporate culture. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Two questions for you. Yeah. What impact do you want to create in the world? Like what impact, what is, what drives you to create the impact that you want to create? I want to help people better understand themselves because when we understand ourselves, we can understand others. And the, what I, what I see as causing a lot of the divisiveness that we have in the United States, especially right now is when people lob criticisms over the Twitter fence and they just, you know, and I think that if we could function in a way I get, it's really easy to do that when you don't know someone, when you're sitting on your couch with your phone in front of you, you don't know them, you haven't met them personally. Have you ever noticed, I ask people this a lot, when you are just sending a text, even if it's to your best friend, Are you different in tone mm-hmm. if then when you're angry or annoyed 
than you would be if you were on the phone or sitting face to face with that person? Mm -hmm. And chances are the answer is yes, because we behave differently when we're having a conversation like you or and I are having, even though it's on video. Exactly. Um, and and writing makes it different. And so I, I think that we've become a culture, thanks to technology, which is not a bad thing, but we have become a culture of people who um, react first mm-hmm. and think second. And I'd love to get us back to that thinking first um, so that we can react in a thoughtful way. That is so powerful. I think it's a, a double-edged sword and that technology is a wonderful device if it's used as it is meant to be used for. I have responsibly. A, <laughs> responsibly. I had a um, very quick story, but I had a, I was teaching at a college for a number of years and there was a boy in the first year and um, they had failed their assignment. A lot of them had failed their first set of assignments. So I said, well, I will offer these hours to help all of you. And you can rewrite first time only. And we can learn a little bit what we can do differently. And I think I had 50 students. I think four attended the second time, which was like, you just would think anyways. And one of the students sent me this email. And I remember reading it and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I wouldn't say that to anyone, let alone send it to a prof who was teaching me. So in the, in class the next day, I said to ask him to stay afterwards. And I'm like, would you mind reading this to me out loud? He's like, absolutely. He starts to read it and he gets to the second line and he's like, that's not how I meant it. I'm like, it, it might not be how you meant it, but I just want you to understand that this is September and we have a two-year program and you're with me for two years. Do you think this was a good way to make a first impression? And he was like, no, I didn't mean it that way. Literally turned out to be one of my best students ever, like ever. And he always said, even towards the end, he was like, that learning was huge for me to be able to do that. I think it's very sad he got all the way through high school and probably did do that. And nobody called him on it. But he honestly, he was like, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I'm like, but you... It doesn't matter with when we're doing that kind of communication, how you meant it, how I took it is really what is, is, is a factor, right? I didn't know where he was at. He doesn't know where I was. I was at, and I love how you've explained this here. So I think that, um, better understanding ourselves so that we can better understand others is beautiful. Yeah. I like that. It's interesting. You said that. I mean, I, I, I eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. And I had a miscommunication on Twitter, or excuse me, on, on text last week. Same thing as your student. I sent something. The response I got back was highly defensive. I was like, why is wow. she responding that way? And then I reread what I wrote and I was like, oh, good God, no wonder, you know, and I called her. And good I said, I just wanted you to hear my voice mm-hmm. because what I wrote is not at all. I get why you heard it the way you heard it, but that is not the way it sounded in my own head. And let me re-explain myself. That's beautiful. But that's how, like, that's a great way to handle it. And I just, I think that that's in the life that we are living now with technology, especially now because we have so little face-to-face. I think that it is so, so incredibly important that we are aware of how we are showing up and what we are saying. Right. Last question I have for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oh boy. <laughs> Only one, right? I know. Yeah, there have been so many. Uh, I'll, I'm going to um, I'm going to say that the best lessons I've ever learned 
are the ones that I, I feared would happen and happened, right? So when I was growing up as a kid, um, I had a vision of my life what it was supposed to be like. I'm supposed to get married by a certain age. I'm supposed to have children because I'm a woman and that's what we do. I am supposed to have a job because I grew up in an era where I was told that women work and we are executives and we're business people and we are successful and can be. I'm supposed to earn a certain amount of money. Like there are all these and 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 my life is, so, and by the time I'm this age, I should have grandchildren and this age, I should like, I should retire, all that. And I literally lived in fear of my mom had some friends. She had a lot of single female friends who, when I was a kid, were probably in their 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. And um, I judged any of them who were not married and didn't have children and yeah. were had probably had good jobs, but they weren't like the head of the company. Yeah. I judged all those women, all of them. I didn't speak that way to them. These were my family friends. I love them and I love being with them and I loved having dinner with them. But that's what I was thinking in the back of my head. I don't want to be her when I grow up. Mm-hmm. So I turned into one of the hers. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Biggest fear in life. Wow. And I have to tell you that at the age I'm at, which is, is I hate saying my age. I really need to get over that. But I'm, I, I'm in my 50s. Early so 50s. am I. It's okay. So... Um, the age I'm at, I am divorced. I don't have children. I live on my own. I have, I am, you know, an entrepreneur. I don't have the big corporate job right now. I'm doing stuff I love doing, but I don't have the big job mm-hmm. with the title. Um, and I, a few years ago, kind of looked around at that scenario and I go, wow, I'm Anne. <laughs> I am Anne. <laughs> and I'm okay. I'm happy. I love my life. I don't want to be married right now. I'm really glad I didn't have children because it was something I thought I should do, but I really didn't want to. So I'm glad that didn't happen for me. I'm totally okay. Mm -hmm. The house is not on fire. In fact, it's good. It's good. Um, So those are really helpful lessons. Those are great lessons. I love that. I, I thank you so much for sharing that, for being real, vulnerable, and honest with us because I just think that there's a lot of value in everything that you said but I appreciate you sharing that personal side to yourself. You're welcome. Yeah, that's not a that's not a comfortable one to come out with, quite honestly. <laughs> but I'm really rather gone with the business example, which is a much easier one. <laughs> no, but I like to ask the questions that really dive into the personal side of it. So, right? Good job. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been wonderful to get to know you. And I'm sure I can't wait to hear the takeaways from everybody who listened. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.